you know, the first time I was there, I lost 10,000 or so. And, you know, they didn't care because I was down, of course. And then the next time I go, you know, I was playing the exact same way, exact same spread, which wasn't very much. Like you're only betting up to like $50 max on the side bets and you're betting like, you know, 25 on the main blackjack hand. So it doesn't really look that crazy at all. Right. And I was playing and I was up like, you know, 7,000 really quickly, maybe in the first 30 minutes. And this was, this was a small place. Like this was like a bowling alley type place. So, um, it, it was a really small. So 7,000 for them right away was like a little scary for them. So then I, the manager came up to me and said, Hey, you uh, can't play here anymore. And I said, okay, um, can I just ask you like, why? Like, I'm not trying to start anything with you and I'm not trying to be confrontational, but I just want to know like, what is it that I'm actually doing that you're not okay with? You know, cause in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I'm not even spreading. Like I'm just playing like 25 to $50. Like what could you possibly think I'm doing right now? Especially cause they cut the shoe in half by this point and the side bet was still worth a lot. So I, I asked like, look, like, what am I doing? Like, um, like, what is it that you, that's so wrong? And then he said, well, like you started with $300 and now you're up like 7,500. Risk of Ruin is a podcast about gambling and life and their intersection. I'm John Reeder. This is The Road Warrior, part two. Traveling Advantage players live a life that would be foreign to most of us. They're away from home a lot, but they're not traveling for any boss. They only answer to themselves. So I think it might be good to hear more about their schedules and the routines they keep when they're on the road. I get up around like 10 minutes, 15 minutes right before checkout, which is usually noon. And, you know, I always try to get like an extended checkout or a late checkout as far as I can, but most of the time, the most they'll give you is noon. So I have a little trick uh, that I use. I like have a little note that I put on my door that says like, I have a late checkout at, at noon, like, thank you. So that they don't like just bang on your door while you're trying to sleep, sleep in, you know, I've had that happen like way too many times. And uh, so now I've, I found that that note just like works so well. So I have these like laminated notes now at this point, because I was tired of writing it every time. So I have this laminated note, I just stick in the door slot where you put your key. And so, yeah, it starts at noon, I go get go get some lunch or something like that. And then, um, yeah, just either drive to the next place or if I'm already there, you know, start playing until they back me off anywhere. You know, usually it's like three to four hours into it or hopefully longer. But and then you just keep driving to the next place, you know, break to get dinner at some point. And then I usually play till about two or three in the morning and always book my hotel last second. You know, I'm always booking my hotel at like 11.50 p.m. And so I just step away from the table to get a sense of like where I'm going to be. So let's say I'm playing at a casino at 11.50 and I there's like not really any heat and it kind of feels like it's going to go on for a while. Then I'll just get a hotel like nearby. But if it looks a little sketchy, then I might wait and just book it after because um, then I could drive for maybe an hour or two after to get to where I need to be in the morning. Rymo said that his life is compartmentalized. The road is one life. And at home, he lives a different life. 
Uh, I'm known for, you know, kind of being a night owl. It's funny because when I'm at home, uh, you know, when I'd be around my kids, I, I would be uh, more of like leaving or leading like more of like a normal lifestyle. You know, you're waking up, you know, semi early and, uh, you know, you're going to bed a little bit earlier or whatever. And then when I would get on the road, you know, the, the switch would flip. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're staying up all night. There's been times where I've stayed up for, you know, 24 hours straight. I'm, I'm playing places, you know, marathon sessions. If they, if they'll, you know, have me, you know, if they'll let me play that long and, you know, you sleep in till weird hours in the morning, you know, sometimes, you know, you forget to eat, you know, because you're constantly, uh, just running like nonstop. Back offs play an outsized role in the life of the professional gambler. Back offs dictate how much the player can win from a casino how long before they have to hit the bricks and how much time will be spent driving. You go in with the intentions of playing a specific market. And next thing you know, you somehow end up hundreds of miles away from where your target market was. And it's because you got backed off. And then all of a sudden they inform you that like, not only are they going to uh, back you off, but they're also going to fly you throughout the entire state of wherever it is that you're at, you know, and then all of a sudden that basically limits the, the casinos that you planned on playing on that trip. So now you have to drive further and further out. I, I remember one time, uh, I was, I was playing somewhere and I had, I had such high hopes that I was going to be playing there for the whole weekend. I remember I, I even got my hotel, uh, maybe, uh, I got like two or three nights in a hotel and I paid up in advance. I get to the casino because I played there once before and I felt like they were pretty tolerant. And within 45 minutes, they had backed me off. And so I think I just, I, I was trying to be polite with them. I think I, I asked the, the woman who was backing me off. I said, so, you know, do you mind if I ask her how far does news travel? Because, you know, I kind of wanted to know. And sometimes it's not a good idea to ask those type of questions. But sometimes you'd be surprised what type of answers you'll get in return. And so she said, uh, you're going to have to travel really far. You know, a trip where I was only supposed to be like five hours from home, I think I ended up being like nine or ten hours from home or something like that. A lot of times you might see the pit moving around and they look like they're freaking out. They're maybe getting on the phone. They're staring at you. You could tell that you're obviously getting heat. But there have been several times where, you know, I would think to myself, like, I'll be lucky if I last 15 or 20 more minutes here. I, if, I, if I'm here any longer than that, it'll be a miracle. And then next thing you know, you're there seven hours later. And I'm just like, how am I still here right now? But they, I'm just very blatantly just rubbing it in their face, like spreading from, you know, table min to table max. And they're just taking it. And it's maybe, maybe because they don't know how to do a proper evaluation. Um, maybe they're afraid to back off. Uh, you know, somebody who is, you know, betting more money than what most of the other local patrons are. I don't know, but there is something to be said for playing till back off. Sassy Red's routine differs a little from self-described night owls like Raimo. I have always wished that I had the stamina. I'm not sure what the word would be to work graveyard. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I am in my mid fifties. Um, so my my witching hours are kind of 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And that's when I work. I have spread my play out over all three shifts. And I do try to do that. But I don't do well on grave. It, it just messes too much with what I need to do sleep-wise. I'd rather go without food than go without sleep. 
Typically, I would go where maybe there were three or four or five targets. So I would fly into a place, rent a car, uh, and then I might have two nights at one, two nights at another, two nights at a third or fourth. And hopefully, they're close enough together where I'll do a two-hour session, drive over to the other one, do a two-hour session, depending on where I'm, you know, how close they are, where I'm staying. Uh, go back on a different shift to the one I had already hit, play some more. Everything, de- everything is determined by what I think I can get away with. I, I always plan my trips. And, and I would only do those, fly by the seat of my pants, stay as long as I possibly can, burn a place down, if I was completely unattached. So, and I felt like I had the stamina to do that. I think it's great for, you know, some of these road warriors who can do that. But again, I have to fly almost anywhere I go. So I could keep return flights open, but typically I have a day in, a day out. It also has to do with how, you know, how long a time out I I feel like my partner can, my fiance can tolerate, you know, I mean, I'm in a committed relationship and I don't want to be gone that long. I set my trips up according to hourly goals and I would like 40 to 50 hours a month. And I used to do two, four to five day trips a month trying to get that. Then I went to one 10 day trip a month, or if I have offers to pick up, I'll spread all my offers for the month out and go, where does it make sense to go? And can, you know, how much is it going to cost me to get here? But typically I have that whole trip planned before I leave. So again, that may be why I can keep returning to places. Dan told me that not only does he not have a schedule, he forgets that anyone would have a schedule. Sometimes he calls his normal friends on a Tuesday, and he's surprised they're at work. If I'm at a place that, you know, has let me play, I'll just park up for, I've been parked up for two, three weeks in the same same parking spot. And sometimes I'm driving 6,000 miles a week almost. Feels like just in and out, five minutes at a casino, get kicked out, <laughs> on to the next one. So it varies, but I just wake up whenever I feel like it. There's no set schedule to anything in my life kind of lose track of time and dates that way. But when I'm on a trip, it's just one big trip. Like I don't even know if it's Wednesday or Tuesday or anything like that. But Dan's schedule does require breaks. I only work about every other month. I'm only on the road for about four to five weeks. That's all I can handle. It just, it takes a lot out of you just living on the road, showering and playing with fitnesses and just eating crummy, you know? So I usually like to stay home for the month following that and, you know, regenerate and hit the gym and relax in my own comfy bed. I mean, Japan has a comfy bed, but I just, I just love being home. There's this idea that after you've done something enough, many of your conscious thoughts become subconscious. Maybe that's how we build intuition. Joe has played so much blackjack that his intuitions in the casino have become highly tuned. It's kind of weird because there's been several instances where I just like look at a player from across the pit and it kind of, I could just like, it's just a weird like sense that they just, they just, it just seems like they don't belong there. And I kind of like go over, if I have a break or something, I go over to their table and I see that they're spreading when they're supposed to. And it's just like, oh wow, like that's happened several times where I just look at someone and it's like, hmm, that person looks odd. And then sure enough, like they're counting. So, and another big one is like, I'll see somebody buy in for like 
six or seven hundred dollars and then they you know they 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 have like green or black chips and then they have a bunch of red and they just start playing like minimum on the red and then that's like another like thing that i see and i'm like yep that's they're probably gonna start spreading and then they sure enough like they start counting and they start spreading and things like that joe's experience also means that he's seen a wide range of casino reactions to his play everything from the quick boot to letting him play so much that he racks up a ridiculous number of casino points I have to say, like, the free uh, helicopter ride I got because I had already, like, bought one of every item in the gift shop with my comps. And my host uh, didn't know what else to do because I had so many points left over. And so they were like, hey, think of something you want to do in town and we'll, like, try to make it work. So I saw that they give, like, helicopter rides because I was in a really scenic area. So I was like, hey, how about, like, a helicopter tour or helicopter ride? So then they they, uh, picked me up near the casino in a helicopter and flew me around. (laughs) It was just like your typical, like typical, like reservation, like gift shop where it's just like uh, really glittery, like glittery studded, like purses with huge crosses on them and things like that. And I just like got most of the stuff I just sent to my mom. Like I got like one pair of every single sunglasses on the sunglass rack and just like all the food. I was also getting like jewelry and purses for all the dealers and the pit bosses too. So I was using a lot of my comps to like, I mean, I would, I would send them home with like bags and bags of stuff and they eventually like got in trouble like they and they had to like stop accepting gifts from me because it just looked weird. Like this guy who's been counting cards here for like a month and a half and he's like giving all the deal, like off, off property, like handing the dealers like all these like items from the gift shop. So they put a stop to that. Joe is what I would call an incurable life hacker. He sees all of the friction of everyday life as a series of problems to solve. Earlier, he mentioned his laminated sign to make sure his sleep isn't interrupted before late checkout. Some of his solutions are more extreme. Like, when bathroom breaks were slowing him down, he took a camping toilet with him in the car. Joe even has life hacks for traveling with his bankroll cash. I think they just really appreciate it if you have the form, sort of the CTR form already filled out before you get there. And all the times that I've done it, like I've had it like, you know, printed out with like actually typed it in my name and my social and all that stuff. So then I'm able to just go up to the desk and then show them. And then they kind of are like, okay, this guy, it's not the first time he's done this. And they've kind of not scrutinized me that much with that. And then also like if you have, you know, a bunch of 10,000 straps, if you have the actual like 10,000 straps, like from the bank, instead of just rubber banding them, then I found that they don't count it as often. Like the times where I've had it, you know, wrapped up, they kind of just like look at it and they don't even count it most of the time. But then the times I've had it with it rubber banded, then they want to individually like count every single hundred. And that's not a hard and fast rule, but it's just something I've sort of noticed anecdotally is like having it strapped up. Even if it's the same amount of money, the presentation, they don't want to like take the time to like count every single bill. And also it looks more like for some reason, like the the number one question I hate that the border patrol agents ask is like, where did you get this money? And it's like, it's not like I just like pick this money up somewhere. Like I, this is like my life savings. Like this is what I've taken years to accumulate. We've heard how stressful life on the road can be. So I also asked these pros how they deal with stress think like the most important thing sometimes is like when you get back to your room everyone's got like a routine 
Uh, for me, you know, I, I would like, to, I would probably bring like, you know, my Amazon fire stick. Cause I want to watch things that I want to watch and I want to maybe, you know, I'll have like, you know, drinks ready for me at the, at the room, like maybe, you know, a six pack of beer or maybe some, something to make cocktails or whatever. And, and I would just sit you know in my room and just kind of hang out and, you know, decompress and just, uh, and sometimes getting like a good night's sleep. Uh, really would kind of help things out. You know, it's amazing how how often like getting like, you know, a, a little drink at the end of the night and then, you know, watching some TV and just decompress and then a good night's sleep will really kind of help you out the next day. Because I mean, this can be a very, very frustrating and a very taxing job because you are driving all over the place or sometimes flying all over the place. And, you know, you're, you know, going to sometimes incur some really huge uh, losses. And it's not always sunshine and rainbows in those situations. And you're getting backed off, you're getting flyered all over the entire state. And, you know, you have to continue to go further and further out, or, you know, you realize that, like, I, I can't drive any further, I can't go any further from this point, because now the next casino from this point on might not be for another four or five hours, and I need a you know, and I need to be home by this time. And so, yeah, it is good to sometimes just go back to the room and just decompress and then start fresh. It can be frustrating for sure. I was working so much that I just really let myself go. Like it was bad. I, was, I couldn't continue down this path and really, you know, take, take pride in trying to work out every day while I'm on the road now. Like it, it takes priority over blackjack. After like eight or nine hours, I just kind of call it a day. Like, even if I'm allowed to play more, like I kind of just don't. I just love sleep and just just get sleep, and my mind is fine. And I sort of keep my emotions in check. I I like play to a smaller bankroll than I can, like just to keep my just my swings comparatively low as a solo player. And talking to a lot of AP friends sure helps during those losing sessions. I usually try to get like a workout session in when I'm on the road at least four times a week. So I think that Planet Fitness, like Black Card membership is pretty worth the money. It's like 20 bucks a month and you can go to any club in the US and they have locations like everywhere. I've rarely been in a city where they didn't have, or even a smaller town where they didn't have a Planet Fitness like somewhere along the way to where I'm going. So I definitely try to get that in. I try to eat like fairly healthy. Like there's only so much like fried food you can eat like every day when you're on the road. So I keep that stuff to a minimum. Like I, you know, if I go to the buffet at the casino, like I just like load up on like veggies and salad and just like, you know, try to get as much of that stuff in it while I can. Cause it's can be really tough. Like trying to find options out there. Like when your only option is like the grill that's open at 3am at the casino, you know, it's usually like really bad burgers, old pizza, and just like chicken tenders. Sassy red actually has a formal education in the therapy field. So she brings a professional's view to the problem. I take issue with those that say when we play, particularly a game like Blackjack, play like a computer, you know how to play to have an edge, just do the right thing. While that is completely true, we just aren't wired. We are hardwired to feel things. And I happen to be in the camp that says if you try to not feel, it doesn't work. So it is better to acknowledge what you are feeling and then soothe it. Losing sucks. Losing is also part of the math, working itself 
out. It's to be expected. But how often do we read, you know, stories of, of folks that have just experienced a horrible losing streak? Nobody likes it. It's painful. And, and to have someone empathize with that pain and say that's really normal to feel that way, hopefully you were able to feel it and soothe it so that you were able to keep performing at the table. That's how I approach dealing with those emotions is that I give myself complete permission to feel them. I don't give myself permission to act on them. I also try to do things physically like wiggle my fingers and toes. Um, Sometimes I just have to stand up because I will get physical sensations when I know I'm stressed. You know, I never bail on a, on a high count, but if I have to take a break, you have to take a break. Breathing helps a lot. I do notice still, I have to tell myself, stop holding your breath. It's something that's a real struggle for me. Um, the emotions around heat are a different animal altogether. I, I've told people before, I think I could handle the variants if they would just freaking let me play. I have all kinds of baggage around rejection from authority. And that's what heat feels like to me. So I have to do a lot of work internally to deal with that because I think it's okay to hate variants, to hate heat, um, have to travel and still be successful. You can come up against lots of obstacles in this life and still be okay. And so I've just kind of given myself permission. It's like some of this game just sucks. And when you say it doesn't, you're lying to yourself. Because what they're doing is work, these APs are going to have a different view of travel than someone who does it for recreation. Dan says that when he's out on the road making money, he has tunnel vision. My teammates Spartan said best, like, I've traveled everywhere, but I've experienced nothing. It's so true. When I'm on my own, I'm kind of just focused on work and I'm not a big tourist person solo and I'm not going to go explore a new place. Like, I'm just there to work and get the job over with and go home. I kind of regret it one hand, but then I don't like, I wouldn't have made as much money if I took the time to be a tourist at all these places at the same time. I'm not a traveling gambler, but I can relate to what Dan is saying here. Actually, I told Dan that if not for my wife, I would almost never go anywhere or see anything. I mean, I might forget to turn on the lights in our house. Dan said that he isn't naturally inclined to go out and see things, but he has done some things when he's with teammates. Also, he had a traveling companion for a few months. I actually like met up with somebody from a casino, but she just kind of just came in the van with me. It was the weirdest thing. And we like lived together for like four or five months. Like I got her into the whole AP, not black jerk, but just other things like slot machines. And like she got me to do a lot more in those five months of my life, like my whole other time. Yeah, like, like we still, we still joke all the time. Like I still text her and uh, she's like, did you do anything? <laughs> no. Like cause she got me to go like, we were in Maine, I think, at uh, the one casino up there in Oxford or something. And she got me to go like rock mining. Like, it was the weird, I would never do it in a million years. <laughs> And then she got me to like do a mud bath in Colorado and we went to Niagara Falls. Like so I've had fun times with her. Like I'm not, you know, natural go go do it. Like, I need somebody to, to, to push me a little bit. We're going to hear about how Blackjack has given these people a life that they value. But they also deal with pitfalls inherent to the lifestyle. See in the beginning when I didn't, you know, have money, I thought money would make you happy, but 
money gap doesn't make you happy. Like I kind of, I was more happy. Like I thought about this a lot, like towards the last couple of years, towards the tail end of my career. Like when I was, you know, broke at Outback, I was way more happy than like the middle of my blackjack career. Like I, I went through a pretty depressed phase. Like I was the richest I've ever been in life at that point. But, you know, I lost, you know, a lot of friendships and family, you know, relationships kind of went downhill and I just wasn't around and like my whole life just kind of disappeared and I kind of traded my life to like a big pile of cash almost. If you balance your life properly, I don't think that would happen to you, but I didn't balance and I just kind of went full force ahead into blackjack and I, I, you know, stepped back from that. I became a lot happier and rebuilding some broken relationships and not caring about money and EV all the time. So it's definitely a balance in this AP life that brings you happiness, not just a bigger bankroll amount. When I first got into card counting, I was like so obsessed with it and, you know, just like practicing it all the time. And, and I was just, I wanted to play like above anything else, you know, at that point, like above relationships and, you know, things like that. So I was just ready because at the time when I started, I was single. Like I was just like, hey, I'm just going to hit the road and just do this thing I'm really passionate about and see where it goes. And so, you know, I did that for, you know, the good first year, played a ton of hours. And then, you know, it was so cool and such a great ride. But at the same time, like towards the end, I was starting to get like really lonely. You know, I, I had made a decent amount of money. At that point, I was sort of weighing like, how much am I sacrificing here? Like, how much am I sacrificing? Like, how many, how much more do I need to feel like happy or safe and secure? And how much am I just like, feel like I'm just spinning my wheels, just trying to like build up this nest egg? Like for what? Professional gambling is so great in so many ways because like you have your freedom of schedule. Um, you know, it's a fun, enjoyable thing to do. You know, it can be exciting. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, you're not producing anything you're not making people happy like you don't have customers that you're trying to like um you know have them satisfied that usually everyone just hates you in the casino like the managers are usually annoyed with you and the dealers are really annoyed with you and the players they don't like you yeah after a while i just i started to get a little bit burnt out on just sort of doing the same thing over and over again just moving chips back and forth especially all the driving and all the being backed off and the some of the unpleasant interactions over and over again you know that can really wear on you so then the next couple of years after that you know i like really slowed down uh some um and now i'm kind of at the point where i'm still doing like a decent amount of ap stuff but i also have another venture i'm i'm doing that's you know totally unrelated just because i wanted to just like know what it was like to create something with my own hands sort of just have a physical product and have people like receive it and like it and sort of see where that goes Dan told me that Blackjack Apprenticeship retrained his degenerate brain. When he was younger and played poker, he didn't understand things like bankroll management. Learning how to deal with bankroll swings and understanding concepts like expected value turned him from a gambler to an advantage player. Learning about EV and AV, like the differences, it like really broadened my horizons about just, just life in general like you just put in a little bit of work every day and then like you see the massive amounts of gains like eventually down the road like it you can apply it with almost anything in life it seems like like the gym you know just the gym really but just uh i don't know just always do something little every day and then eventually just amasses to do something really big watching it happen before my eyes with the live it's just really 
really opened my eyes to that level of growth or that way of growth. Because I was always, you know, impatient in life and I wanted everything now. Like, I want a big pile of money now. I want, you know, big muscles now. Like, that's not how life works. Dan also learned how to beat some slot machines. And he even tried to teach his dad how to beat machines. It's funny because, like, my dad is, like, you know, a, like, legit guitar camera. Like, he lost our house as a kid and, like, everything. Like, I kind of look at it like I'm getting my inheritance back doing all this. He got an addiction with slot machines. And, like, I taught him how to, about machines when I came home from learning. And it kind of, like, broke his habit almost. But he's like... You took the you took the excitement out of it, the gamble out of it. Like like this is like work now, and it's no fun. I taught him how to win, and he's always never wanted to win in his brain. But then, he, like I finally taught him how to do it, and he doesn't want to do it anymore because it's not fun. There's an idea that information about advantage play actually serves as unintended marketing for casinos. Like the more copies of Ed Thorpe's Beat the Dealer that are sold, the better it is for casinos. I will admit there's a certain logic to this idea, but I do not think it holds up very well to scrutiny. It might sound plausible that exposing people to the idea of card counting would get them into the casino where they would then just play with no edge. But it's far more likely those people are already in the casino. Dan's experience with his dad also shows that information about advantage play could have exactly the effect casinos are trying to avoid which is to alert gamblers to the way the house edge really works. If it seems like I'm getting a lot out of a few anecdotes, then consider that revenue from slot machines dwarfs the amount that casinos see from blackjack. And no one reads books about beating slot machines. So Occam's razor is pretty much that people like to gamble and they don't need a math-heavy book like Beat the Dealer as a pretense. The two central topics of this episode, professional gambling and the open road, are prototypical symbols of freedom. And so it's fitting that freedom is a key value for our guests. If I want to go and spend a month with my 82-year-old dad in a different state, I can. If I want to go spend two weeks on the beach with my grandbabies, I can. It's also taught me to look for... How do I put this? Positive EV is how we, how we, the term we use um, in other, other areas in my life, you know, how to be efficient, how to not waste time. I also am a drama queen and I get to kind of play my roles and, and, you know, theater was something that, that never panned out for me um, past school. And so I get to indulge that side of me a little bit and that's been fun. I got to reinvent myself in my 50s. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I've, I've lived this whole, well, as, as long as I've been alive, you know, five plus decades, five and a half decades, and there's always possibilities. I think most people who get to my stage of life look back and feel that way to some degree, but they've been spectacularly different, each of these stages in my life. And, you know, raising a family touring with the band, getting a master's degree in the therapy field, then traveling. It's, it's, you never know when you're going to get to reinvent your life and, and what will come along. And I, I think I'm better able to, to seize the day to carpe diem doing this than I have been in the past. 
it just feels like forward momentum where you're just like going to the next place, checking out the next city, you know, taking breaks, you know, checking out the nature nearby and just being able to explore. It just feels like you don't feel so like stagnant and like stuck maybe like you would and like an office scenario for me would be really challenging. I think I would just feel too trapped. So it, it's just nice to just have no schedule. And because you're kind of just like hoping to get as many hours as you can, that kind of that has a built in forward momentum too for your motivation. Cause it's like, you know, hey, I'm here because I want to work and I want to get in hours, not because like I'm locked into a specific place and I have to be there, uh, you know, nine to five and fulfill this many hours. And then, you know, I'm like required to do that. Otherwise, I get fired. Like, like with the AP life, it's sort of like, you know, the more hours you can play, the better it is for your bottom line. I like the freedom. I like the ability to create my own schedule. If I have a trip planned for next week, but then I decide, oh, I don't, I don't want to go or I have something better. Uh, I have something else that, uh, better going on. Then I can, I can opt to do that instead. And, and of course, there's also no cap on how much money you can make. Really, like, you know, you, you can scale things and, you know, at, uh, for the most part. And as your bankroll gets larger and, you know, the, the possibilities are limitless almost. And so I like that, you know, idea as well. Since we're talking about freedom, I just want to relate it back to the title of this episode, which is The Road Warrior. The 1982 movie by that name was the second of the Mad Max movies. And it was what you might call a post-apocalyptic Western. Westerns are about our freedom fetish. They're self-reliance porn. We're offered a fantasy that, if given the chance to escape the confines of our modern lives, we would be made of tough enough stuff to survive in a wild time. In Westerns, there's a rebellious, wandering loner. They have to overcome and defeat the unforgiving frontier. But victories are temporary, because it's always time to move on to some other place. And one other thing about Westerns is that the protagonist the reliably self-interested gunslinger, well, they're also given a very stubborn and very specific sense of justice. I get this this internal satisfaction for beating the house legally. I, I really just get a kick out of taking the casino's money because I, I, I'm, I just, I'm not a fan of casinos. I just, I think they are like evil entities that are just designed to like, just suck money out of like society and, and they prey on people's weaknesses. And so I get this, this satisfaction from not only beating them, but I try to take everything that I can. Even like, as I'm like leaving the casino, it's like, I'll try to even get as many little free things as I can as even as uh, small as like taking out a free cup of coffee on my way out. Risk of Ruin is written and produced by me. Special thanks to the guests, Sassy Red, Joe, Rymo, and Dan. An extra special thanks to Colin Jones of Blackjack Apprenticeship. I got in touch with the guests through his message board, which I really appreciate. Look out for the next episode of Risk of Ruin, titled Short Stories, where famed short seller Mark Cahotis recollects 35 plus years of exposing stock market frauds. So like on that next Tuesday or Wednesday, this avid like pre-releases and they like shit all over themselves. They say the quarter's bad, restating earnings, suspending all guidance, Kurt Raleigh to resign, 
bad debt charge of Avid Financial Services, the whole fucking deal. And the stock literally, I mean, see, this is the days when things would get killed. The stock literally was like 37 to like eight. And we were like hooting and hollering and the whole thing. And Haney Nada then calls up and it was like someone just lynched his dog in a tree.